0: For me, I think that's maybe why art is so important to me. It's because I get to revel in that in that headspace and in that introspection. You know, there's there's lots. We all have lots of different selves, but for me, it's quite a sacred space.
1: Welcome to the Flying Fruit Park platform dedicated to discussion and exploration of art and the creative process. I'm your host, S. In today's episode, I had the chance to talk to the incredible Patsy MacArthur. Patsy MacArthur is a fine artist who currently resides in Brighton, in the UK. Using art as a way to explore the theme of escapism, Patsy creates captivating paintings and drawings of figures in motion. Falling, jumping, diving and running, the characters in her work are both purposeful and aimless, trapped in a constant state of awareness.
2: So. Let's start where I start with everybody. Would you just tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist?
0: Um, Sure thing. I'm Patsy MacArthur. Um, I'm a Scottish figurative painter. I don't know. I've got to describe myself somehow, but um, sometimes more of really the the vast majority of my practice really is drawings. So I'm really a figurative drawer, but sometimes I feel a bit funny about saying drawer because I just think about (laughs) chest of drawers. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> <I've got that.
0: laughs> Which makes my sort of role in life even more ridiculous than it is already. Um so yeah, I'm a drawer, um, I guess, and a sometime painter. I live in Brighton, south coast of England. Um, I've been here for about 10 years. Wow. Um, I've lived in various parts of the world in my 30s. I was a bit of a wandering minstrel. Um so, yeah, that's me. I I have been, I suppose, at it quite a long time. I've had quite a long career. I graduated from my BA in 98, so late 90s. Um, I then spent a little while on the dole in Glasgow, which was, uh, I don't know, not that much fun. I
1: guess.
0: <laughs> fun and not that much fun at the same time. Um, and then I went to Barcelona, where I did a master's. um it was a program that was being run through Winchester School of Art at the time, um which was a wonderful program really, where you did sort of ten months um in studying in Barcelona, living in Barcelona, and then you went back to Winchester for the first like last the last two months of the year. um and you did your MA show in Winchester. so, it was it was, it was a great experience, actually. It was um, mad. Um, but I think that gave me a taste for travel and kind of, you know, gave me a sense of the possibility. You know, one of the best things about being an artist, which is you can kind of pick up and go anywhere. Or you could, you know, I don't know. I, I certainly felt that I could at that time. Um, so when I was bit younger that yeah it gave me
2: the taste for that um so yeah <laughs> so that's really really interesting actually because I'm extremely curious about how all this extensive traveling has affected you and made you kind of the person you are today because adventure now you say that like the idea of adventure is something that I actually have very much see on your work the idea of like you're venturing into not only people themselves in these kind of in-between states and we'll get into your work in a bit but like this idea of like you're venturing into the different aspects of people's lives I think that's kind of interesting actually but like how did you or like or I like more like how did your extensive travels and kind of your upbringing play a part in you know you being the artist you are
0: um I mean maybe I'll sort of go into a bit a bit more detail there there it's definitely made there be different quite distinct chapters in my life um I've been in Brighton now for the last ten years, and You know, I'm in my mid-40s now. Um, I kind of feel like when you're in one place doing the same thing for quite a long time, um, it's maybe, it seems a bit negative to say, but it makes life maybe a little less memorable. Whereas if there are these distinct chapters, which there were in my younger life, you can, you know, I've got such clear and sort of intense memories of, of those periods. Um, and I said, actually, that the Master's in Barcelona was one of the first experiences um, of living abroad and working abroad, but it wasn't actually. When I graduated from my BA, I was lucky enough to win one of the um, John Kinross Scholarships, which is a, a wonderful award, which is um, given out by the Royal Scottish Academy in Edinburgh. Um, and it's still going, actually which is amazing. It's such a great opportunity for like young artists who are graduating from, there's obviously only four art schools in Scotland. So if you're coming out of one of those art schools, you've got the chance to apply for this. I kind of, in my head, I thought it was like, a. it was really more sort of for figurative artists, but I think actually probably these days in modern contemporary society, it's for any any graduate. Um, but uh, I, I got one of those and it, it allowed me to go to Florence and sort of live in Florence. Oh. It seemed like a, a huge amount of money at the time. Um I can't remember how much it was, maybe three or four thousand, and um rent a, like a flat. You just had to find your own accommodation. And you know, it really was just a question of sort of like wandering the streets, going to see all the incredible sort of renaissance work that is in Florence, you know, all the incredible art history. Such a wealth of art history there, and just paint and draw, make sketchbooks really, and just do what you want it. And then when you came back to Scotland in the winter, you went to the RSA and uh, your tan was phasing and <laughs> you delivered um, a few bits of work. You showed them what you'd done, and they they selected a few bits, which then actually went into the Royal Scottish Academy permanent collection so that's oh. just a wonderful opportunity um, so it was that I think actually which was really important and formative experience which which showed me that that was something that you could do and that it was really a very rich cultural thing that you could do um we were so lucky like at that time that degrees and master's degrees in Scotland were funded and so on that year yeah that year in the dole in Glasgow when I was sitting in my sort of you know horrible little flat sort of fighting with my boyfriend I think was also on the dole and I was like going oh god what am I going to do next you know I was just like looking yeah. at master's courses and you know I, I could just pick one and I find this one that was like you know 10 months in, a bar- in Barcelona I was like hello there we go
2: that's insane
0: um, so yeah, yeah. So uh, those those two experiences, quite close together, when I was in my early twenties, were really really important and kind of showing me that you know the world was a big place and that I could do those things. And you know, financially, it was possible back then because yeah, you know, we were we were in a different living in a different world. Kind of, I suppose, further education wise and funding wise.
2: Yeah, I think one thing that I always kind of consider is like I think to be um a to reach your potential as an artist you need the time, space and money, and we don't always have those in equal supply. And I kind of feel yeah. like that is is so fascinating that you're able to pick a masters and be like let's just go to a completely different country for uh, 10 months. Cuz like nowadays yeah. like that would cost you so much money. Like that yeah. opportunity just isn't accessible anymore. And I think it's kind of a huge shame, but do you feel like there needs to be more like artist residencies, kind of art- opportunities like this?
0: definitely i mean i think it's it's hugely important i mean al, al, also the you know residency was definitely was something that i looked at and and something that i got um and did it was also you know i think our position of of being in the eu meant that you know something that i did often was just like kind of pack up and go in like a self directed residency i'd be like Do you know what i'm going to go to Mallorca and then just go and you know get you know with my underwater camera and you know make loads of lovely ink studies for like a couple of months and that'll inform my water paintings. you know that kind of thing um I mean that sounds like just ridiculously sort of luxurious but Mm. it was all of that stuff you know again you know in my when I turned thirty I, I, I met a Spanish guy and I was like, right let's you know let's move back to let's move to Spain. So we moved to Spain and you know I learned Spanish and still know Spanish and okay. you know it's like I, I, it's made my life kind of very rich in experience, I suppose, but not that those things haven't been challenging as well. um it's really challenging being a wandering minstrel and not being particularly settled and I suppose I'm coming from a perspective talking to you I think um I have been doing it for I've been in 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 this industry for quite a long time I haven't I've only been maybe making a full-time living from my work since I was in my early 30s so probably about 15 years um which sometimes I lose perspective and don't give myself credit for how hard that has been and what an achievement it is. So I've done that. Absolutely, But yeah, it's not been easy.
2: (laughs) The thing is like, the funny thing is that it never is. And it's something that I say to a lot of part-time artists that I talk to. I feel like I say this in every interview, but it's like being a full-time artist is more work than being a part-time artist. And like, because you're not creating work, you're marketing. You're doing everything outside of creating work. You know, there is just so much to being an artist that isn't just making art.
0: I do think that that's changed a lot as well. I mean, I think that for um, the first, you know, certainly kind of like seven or eight years that I was doing that, um, I really didn't have to market. Um, that was my gallery's job, and it was a it was having having been doing it for the amount of time that I have been doing it. I you know that it's changed so much. Really, all I did do was make work. It was really quite simple, and I could do that from. It, wherever I was I had my sort of gallery contacts in the UK and I, I worked mostly on paper so I would make my work I would probably rent a studio wherever I was I would make my work I would fix it I would roll it up in tubes and I would send it to the UK and that's how I was living Wow, it was quite easy Um, well it seems a lot <laughs> in retrospect it seems a lot easier than yeah. it is now a, like, yeah. a lot Because the the roles were very distinct and, you know, if you were an artist that had a gallery, that was just kind of what you did. There wasn't, you didn't, you didn't have a mailing list, you didn't have Instagram, you didn't have anything really. You were just, it was, you were reliant on the gallery and there was a beautiful simplicity in that
2: yeah that's that's actually interesting to think about how the role has changed because now you're everything you're the marketer you're the promo guy. you're the content creator you're the artist you know you're everything
0: yeah I mean you are even if you even if you're maybe if you've got blue chip gallery then you Mm -hmm. don't have to do that but yeah even you know I I generally work with galleries but I still feel the pressure just mounts and mounts Mm -hmm. and mounts and mounts it's like you've got to be doing all that as well the gallery's doing it you're doing it everyone you know they're, they're just it just feels like there's no possible rest
2: so i'm curious because i'm very curious say, how did you end up in brighton
0: so um i had been the sort of last place that i'd been living uh, uh, abroad was new york i'd been on a residence in new york um in my Mid thirty, I think it was about 35 or 36. um and I came back to the UK with a bit of a thud. You know, I couldn't stay in New York; I couldn't afford it. I mm. couldn't get a Brazil. um and I sort of went to London. I had sort of hadn't really thought about Scotland. I, I kind of didn't really want to be in Scotland anymore. Um, I went to London, and. London after New York seems, I don't know, quite sort of dark and dingy and a bit depressing. I was just like, I don't think I can handle this. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was just a bit, you know, I was just a bit all over the place. Hmm. And I actually bounced back to Scotland um, because I kind of didn't really know what to do. And I had a couple of very old pals down in Brighton and they said, come to Brighton. And actually, it just kind of made sense because I was sort of done with being abroad i kind of felt like i needed to come back to the uk in my mid-30s i was like i need to just kind of need to try and settle down a bit and stop packing up the old kit back and just and brighton i suppose is kind of archetypally that place where people (laughs) people of drift to and sort of like it's like the edge isn't it it's (laughs) it's the edge and there's there's loads of scottish people here as well because they're kind of they're chasing the sun, yeah. They're they're freezing up in Scotland, and they're just oh, like,
1: yeah. oh, oh, oh you yeah.
0: Know, <laughs> let's get us far away from Scotland. You know, things maybe not gone gone right, and they're like, you know, so they just drift down, and London's maybe too hard. It's like too expensive. Getting, too expensive. Not mm. that Brighton's much better now, but yeah, it kind of made sense to me. But actually, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I should have I I don't want to be giving you too much life story, but um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot. There was a lot that was going on. Just to sort of explain as well, I was actually at that stage. I'd been, yeah, I'd been sort of, I suppose, living off my work for about five or six years, I think, and it it, it was hard. I think New York had been hard as well. It was just so expensive. It was much easier when I was living in cheaper places. You know, when I was in Spain, yeah. um, it was so it was so cheap. So I could live. You know, I'd sell. You know, a few drawings in the UK, and you know, it was really easy you know it was easy life I didn't need to be earning loads of money to be able to live mm. well um but I was I did have a you know I was having a bit of a wobble kind of like at that stage and my friend like suggests to me that you know mentally I was you know not really that kind of well yeah, and that I should you know think about maybe doing a teaching degree not that I would maybe be a teacher but just to sort of get that you know, on the side. So I did, when I came to Brighton and, like, when I sort of arrived, I got myself onto PGCE. Again, not that I really thought that I was going to be, like, a high school art teacher, but just that everyone kept telling me it's the gold standard of, like, to yeah. praise. So there's, you should do that rather than the FE one. And I did it for nine months and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. It was absolutely hideous. And I couldn't do it for love nor money. I mean, I passed it, but it was so traumatic. And, like, one day I got, like, tied up, you know, with sort of parcel tape in my in my, swir- in my twirly chair. I, just, I couldn't control anyone. It was like, a, you know, it was like working in a prison or something. Not that I've ever, I'd ever worked in a prison.
2: But yeah, I mean, yeah, the analogy was, is that, yes.
0: It was terrifying. And for okay. someone who, like, spent... um. Many years, you know, work, making work in a studio—it was it, like just the intensity of the, that experience was 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 horrible. Um, so, it, but actually, doing it was quite important for for my head, and it showed me that because I'd never really had a, a normal job, um, you know, well, not for many years. And it showed me that I needed to quit complaining, just stop moaning, like see what the the positives of being an artist there and sort of just get me back into the studio. And my mindset really shifted after that. And I sort of went back and I was just like, right, you know, just quit moaning and get your head around what you're doing. So that's important as well.
2: So why is art important to you?
0: I think for me... It sort of allows me to go to um, a place in my inner world that is a, a very personal space. So it's uh I'm also I'm almost a different person in my in that inner space when I'm in my art head. Um and I'm in my art heads a hell of a lot. Like hmm. all day, and um, I've kind of set up my life. I don't know if I've set it up or it's just what's happened to me. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm married, my husband actually lives in a different city.
2: Oh, really?
0: <laughs> in a different flat, yeah. So that is quite unusual. Although they do say it's the secret of happy marriage, I think. But, <laughs> you know, I live. Pretty much on my own. I don't have kids. I don't know if I've kind of set this up for myself. Where I, you know, sometimes I wonder. I wonder if you know I've kind of chosen this path because I just need so much headspace. I'm in my in my in my own head an enormous amount of time. But that said, I think a lot of people that know me don't really know my artist self. You know that is it's quite private. Um, so. For me, I think that's maybe why art is so important to me. It's because I get to revel in that in that headspace and in that introspection. You know, there's there's lots. We all have lots of different selves, but for mm. me, it's quite a sacred space. I think that's probably the best way of answering that question.
2: I think you're absolutely fascinating. I feel like you. I feel like you're the kind of person I could talk to for hours about anything because I feel like you've got so much depth and knowledge in so many different things you're just fascinating so i think i think it's really really interesting because i think so this is interesting to me because there's a question that comes up later but i'll ask you now because i think now is probably an appropriate time and these people in order because it just never does but like the idea of isolation the idea of like working as an artist in isolation and how that affects you and how you deal with that because as you said like you're by yourself you don't have kids you don't have the necessarily a lot of people talking to you about your work and or having like external influence you know, maybe other than galleries and obviously social media, it's like, how do you kind of navigate like the isolation that comes with being an artist?
1: I think I've
0: learned I've learned to navigate it um, but it has been really really tough and I think that um, it's taken its toll like, I think I'm, I'm in a much better spot to sort of handle it now I feel like my life is more settled, I'm married um, I'm very lucky to have um, you know, a super supportive husband and, you know, life seems quite stable. He's um, just not here mm. <laughs> uh, during the week. But um, it's, it, yeah, life is is much more stable for me now. But when I was moving around a lot um, in my younger life, it was really, really, really tough. And I think that, yeah, um, that's you know the fact that you you kind of you have so many pals and you know so much of a support system when you're in in higher education you know Mm. art school and stuff and then you sort of go into life as an artist especially when I did because you know we didn't have Instagram we didn't have and, and and most of the people that were on my you know that I knew from art school didn't go on to be artists you know they they it, it was too hard it's too hard for most people um or they go into you know sort of offshoots things that are you know maybe more social that give you jobs and you've got colleagues and you've got you know whereas yeah. it's really tough um and yeah I I don't know I think that I I cope with it now by having a more stable life. I cope with it by having quite a strict sort of routine. Um, I run, I do yoga. I try and stay off the booze during the week. I, you know, I'm, I I place a lot of importance on sleep, um, mm. usually without <laughs> sleeping pills. Um, right. I think they say, don't they, that, um, you know, with, with structure comes freedom. And yes. I think that that, is really important. That has been really important for me. But I think that when I look back on my younger life and my route of being an artist, I, and the isolation, I am amazed that I have kept my shit together as well as I have in order to have a career and to keep on making enough of a living to 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 you know stay a stay afloat. And I also think that sort of mental health-wise, sometimes I just feel lucky to, you know, have to be here because I've had some mm. pretty ropey um I've had, I've had a lot of accidents.
1: Mm, <laughs> you know, I've yeah.
0: fallen out, I've fallen out of a window. Um and and you know, some bad, you know, you know, some kind of scary stuff has happened, you know, along the way. So I would say I've coped with it through just learning and learning. And just, you know, calming down.
2: Perfect. So what is the biggest challenge of being an artist?
0: Um, Well, obviously there are gazillions. Um, And I don't really, I don't want to sort of repeat, you know, lots of ones that people will have sort of told you already.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, So, you know, we all know that it's it's challenging. I would say that uh mindset is crucial you know to have mindset um optimum mindset to fight um you know the negative stuff the insecurity the just the negative stuff that's going to get you you know it's going to come out and get you in the studio you you know so you really do need to be able to sort of shift that um in order to Be productive and, you know, meet your goals. Um, I would also say, and it's maybe something that um, other people haven't talked about so much, that um, for artists who are, um, who've had maybe longer careers and who've been been doing it for a longer time, um, that brings with it its own challenges. And I think that it can be maybe difficult to find sort of ongoing and continuous and fresh meaning in what you're doing. Mm. Um, It can be the pressure of, you know, coming up with new inspiration and new subject matter and new um, ways of doing things and new technical stuff that's gonna keep you interested. That's all really hard. So you have to, as well as everything else, find somehow room to grow within the sort of constructs that you have made in order to be successful or to, you know, build your brand, because ultimately that is what you are. Um, so I think that's a really important one for, and 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 I have to say that, you know, we're going to take this, this small moment to just do a yeah. massive shout out to the resilience that, you know, artists who have had longer careers um you know have got to have because my god you know it's insane um and you know i'm talking about artists who i kind of see my you know there are artists who will you know who you know i've got a friend who's you know insanely successful now she's just shot to the top of you know she's one of the um you know the highest um kind of ranking female painter you know in the UK today you know she's you know got blue chip gallery you know so it's it's that's an enormous success and comes with that enormous pressure um but you know for for artists who are who who have got a sort of mid to long term career and who are um, you know they, they they haven't got blue chip galleries but they've still got successful careers and I would put myself in that category it, it's a bit like being a jobbing actor I suppose In some in some senses you know that's yeah. maybe that's maybe seems like a bit of a sad way of putting it it's not <laughs> a jobbing a jobbing actor is still you know a successful actor and you, you know for, for for those artists who are going to be say doing you know they're You've got to, you, you're going to be having regular shows, you know, that you're, you're going to be, you're making work for decades. That's really tough. And, you, and so, so to keep growing within, within that and to keep, um, resilience and to keep making high quality work and to keep believing in it and to keep finding meaning are, are the challenges for, for me. Anyway, that's probably one of the biggest challenges
2: for me. You know, that's actually fascinating because no one has actually said that. But I think that's actually one of the ones that I think actually is so important because I think we forget very easily that you don't want to be here for five minutes. You want to be here for 50 years. Yeah. Do you, know, you want, and, and it's not, that's just, you know, what you just had like so much, there's so much wealth in what you've just said because it's just like, we forget that art isn't, like art is a lifelong career but it's only going to be a lifelong career if you work at it for your entire life it doesn't just happen and i think that's a really 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 good point you raised and and
0: also i think you need to you need to kind of reassess you know it's like do you want to be doing this like for you know for for life um do you want to be doing it in five years time ten years time do you know you, you that has to be a sort of reassessment and that is something that I've reassessed at, at kind of various points but um yeah it's it's something that's not really talked about it's, yeah. it's something that's not really spoken about um are us artists who are not going stratospheric we're yeah. we're, we're you know we're continuing we we're building collectors. You know, you, you you go along through life, and you're building collectors and building collectors, and and that's great. But there are always going to be, you know, and, and you're getting shows, you're getting solo shows, you're getting, you're working bloody hard, you know, and yeah. to find new stuff to inspire you and new avenues and and all that stuff. But um, it, it can be challenging to see, um, you know, the youngins coming onto the scene and you know, sort of creating a big splash when you've been doing it for as long as you
2: have like creative envy I think that's actually a really good topic that I'm writing down there because it's not something I've spoken about but actually maybe I should because you are right like let's be honest it's so it's like it's so frustrating when there are people going viral for the most basic of art forms the most basic kind of things when it comes to art yet people like yourselves and people like you know so many other artists I know who have been, you know, pretty much slaving away for like a good decade to create decent work that might get a fraction of that viewership within the, that decade. If you have somebody who steps on the scene, you know, three weeks ago and is now viral on like TikTok or whatever. And it's it's like, it, I imagine it can be like quite demotivating really more than anything else.
0: I guess so. I mean, I, yeah, I, it, it, can be bit, it can be a bit annoying, but I think that's only if you sort of hang on to social media as being... You know, like super important, which I I don't
2: really. Yeah, because I was going to say, but I think that's that's the difference. though. like, you've you've built a career; they have got viral fame. I feel like that, like it's weird for me because I see a lot of people and they're like, you know, they want to go viral or they want to, you know, have a lot of followers, and like that's great. But just having a good follower account doesn't mean your people are going to buy your work. You know, you want to build no. collectors, you want to build relationships, you want to build a following that is actually going to want to buy what you do. And be interested in you and your work because day, like, that is what's going to sell your work. Big numbers are going to attract companies, sure. But they're not going to necessarily attract the right kind of buyers. And I think people forget that very easily.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's no point in being involved in a you know sort of quest for popularity on, mm. on social media. It doesn't really mean anything.
2: So let's get into your work because this is what we're here to do. And I feel like I'm rambling I so apologise. Um so for those who may not have seen it, can you please describe your work?
0: Uh yeah, sure. It is um I would say um well as I said before, I'm a I'm a drawer painter. Yeah. Um so I make um realist figurative work. Um it's not photorealist and actually the um the, the sort of closer you get to it in real life it's really quite um increasingly sort of gestural actually as well it's not you know that tight anymore it's getting you know sort of a lot kind of looser um i often use movement as a subject um i have been exploring themes of escapism for the last sort of few years it really is what um kind of interests me i I'm interested also in not just sort of literal physical movement, but movement through psychological states. And I'll use various tools to try to um, allude to that. I the reference um, video and stills that I work from are really important and kind of part of the process very much. So I don't um, tend to, you know, lift images from other sources very occasionally. I might, or I might use bits of an image that I've found, but I tend to, it's quite, um, it's quite interesting, like my my process, I think, in terms of, I'll have a bit of a vague idea for a photo shoot that I'm going to do, um, but I will make quite critical decisions sometimes around what models are wearing and things like that. Um, I will leave quite a lot up to chance as well. So they can be quite um, directed, but also that runs kind of parallel to that. I, I will be open to just like scenes that I see when I'm around, usually to be fair, when I'm on holiday and I've just got a bit more time and headspace and I'm not like walking from home to the studio or whatever. Um, I might see a scene that's just some kind of insane, insanely beautiful light that's happening, something like that. And I'll kind of need to grab, I say grab somebody, but I kind of tend to mean my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, shove him in it just so that I've got a figure like within that, within what's happening kind of light wise. I can get really like just like. Awestruck by whatever is happening, kind of lightwise, and I just need a figure to be in that. And I'll shoot some video or take some stills, and um and that will be my reference for usually charcoal drawings when I'm talking about light. But um that's kind of vaguely the process. I I in terms of what I'm what I paint or I draw, I tend to be led quite by just my gut or kind of instinct i I tend i try to allow myself to be quite open to to that so i'll i kind of get a bit of a random idea and i'll kind of follow that through without really pouring too much over the why because actually what i like to do well it's just what i've learned within the many years of my practice is that it's i just like to kind of use it as a it's a a self-revelatory tool so I'm you know I'll kind of look back and and things will reveal themselves to me in retrospect in terms of why I'm doing what I'm doing and that's maybe a slightly odd way or back to front way of working that a lot of people there's a lot of chat about you know with artist statement the dreaded artist statements and all that that um you know people need to be very intentional about what they're doing and why they're doing it I actually like to leave a bit more space um, for that within my practice. I don't really want to know half the time why I'm doing something. Um, I'll just kind of let it run and see where it goes. And You know, the photo shoot might just be a load of shite. I'll get the look back at the images and the video and I'll be like, this is is just rubbish. So, um, or it's just not, I, I think... I've all, I've been through lots of different chapters as well with my work. You know, it's the various different places that I've been living, the different head states that I've been in, the different emotional states. That you know, the different studios that I've had because I've had so many different studios over the years. So all of that um, ha- ha- sort of reveals itself to me within the work, and I, I quite like that. For me, it's that's fine. So, sorry, that's a very rambling uh, answer.
1: (laughs) A very,
2: very amazingly cool answer, I must add. Um, But So why figurative art? Why why were you drawn to figurative art, not say like landscapes? Because you've lived in so many amazing places that have stunning landscapes.
0: I think uh, figurative art was definitely something that that I tuned into as a teenager. And also when I went to art school, The, the wonderful thing about Scottish art schools was that we had to do life drawing so we had to do life drawing and life painting I think um, and that was that is just wonderful and, and I think you can see within the great history of you know Scottish recent you know figures of art you can see how strong the um, the draftsmanship is and, and I, I do believe that that's down to you know, what happens in Scottish art because I'm not absolutely sure that that still happens. I hope it does. But for me, it it really, it kind of chimes with me. I, I just loved it. And I was also, you know, the sort of big Scottish artists at the time that I would see in sort of Glasgow museums. I I lived in the west of Scotland, although I studied at Grey School of Art in Aberdeen. Um, I, I was re- really struck by you know, the work of Ken Curry, Peter Housen, kind of big Glasgow, Scottish male artists. There does not seem to be any any female artists in the 80s. Um, but they were, you know, it was, it was very, very powerful. And it's, you know, the, their work is very powerful. And I find that I, I think I'm quite an extreme person. So I was drawn to that, but I was also drawn to the, there's a kind of democratic element of figurative art that means that everyone can kind of find a, a, an entry point and, the, and, and and people feel that they can connect. There is no thinking about, you know, having to, you know, sort of poring over, like, the, you know, conceptual art and what does it mean and is it, is it a load of bollocks, so I can't understand that. You know, they, they can see a figure. They can, you know, it's they're, they're immediately in... In there with it, relating, and so it's that you, you, it's the relatability of it that mm. that I I found powerful, and I have never I've never strayed from it. I I, I feel like it's it is part of my personality, and I, and it is part of I think going back to the isolation. It is what I find difficult um, about being an artist is that. You know, I am really drawn to that certain human connection. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's what is perhaps missing maybe a bit more in my daily life or, or the daily life of, of most artists who work alone in a studio. But it is what I hope exists within my work.
2: That's really interesting because i feel like your work is extremely relatable but it's also very ambiguous and i, I was curious like was the kind of ambiguity of like because you know and as, as i've said previously the idea of like these people in these very much like limbo states where like they're neither in one place nor another they're in the in between like quite literally in terms of like taking like falling through the air or swimming through an ocean like an ocean is you know a liminal space one could argue um like is that ambiguity important in your work yes it
0: definitely is I and mean, i think that at, it, again, it comes down to that the the point of connection because what I, the the figures are are I think you know to to a certain extent code for me or for my head states or for head states that I want to explore emotional states that I want to explore but they're also they need to be sort of open for you know. It, The viewer to put themselves in that spot the the viewer is not kind of passive I want the viewer to be think to be feeling like they are that figure so they're kind of embodying um the the emotions I suppose that are you know kind of within the, the work um some of the work is this strong powerful um forward movement uh something that i think is worth talking about is that in my 30s i was definitely making work that was really i only used to use the male figure so mm. i was again it was i was really drawn to making very powerful work uh i don't want to say the wrong thing here i'm gonna Okay. <laughs> it's uh, but um, there's something about the the physicality of the male, of the male figure. You know, they're you know just purely pure and simple that I enjoyed, and I and I I, I wanted to make him work. I, I don't know. I I've I thought about it a lot. It was interesting. I remember having a, a show in Edinburgh years ago. Uh, it was a um, a two person show with a male artist who was painting loads of like females. Quite a lot of them were nude, and uh, you know my my work was you know these kind of imposing male figures. And when I remember the, the the gallery, you know, sort of saying to me that lots of time people would go to the show, they'd think that you know it was the other way around that the yeah. You know, the male artist was, make, was making the work of the male figures and vice versa. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, it was, uh, has been maybe only in sort of more recent years that I've, I've brought the female figure in. So, yeah, I uh, can't remember the question anymore. <laughs> no, it's fine. For... <laughs> yeah,
2: no, because like, so that's actually a really interesting consideration in terms of like the way in which you as a female interpret and... Um, exemplify, probably not the best word, but exemplify like the male figure and vice versa. But the way that, you know, use your thoughts and opinions about what it means to be the opposite gender without being their gender, because, you know, I think a lot of the time we see, you know, not there's anything wrong with that because I know so many artists who do this, but we see like a lot of female artists, you know, talking about female empowerment in their work and creating these beautiful images of beautiful women. And there's, you know, I know so many amazing artists who do that. But it's also nice to see people who are trying to kind of rethink the way they think about things or they're trying to like create new and different work in different ways. Because I feel like the male form and the male figure, maybe it's just me and what I see, but I feel like the female form and the female figure has always been more marketable. And I think Mm. that is a lot more present as well in like the artist kind of spectrum. I feel like you don't really see, maybe it's just the work, maybe it's just the art I look at necessarily, but I feel like you don't always necessarily see as much male representation in the arts as you do as a female representation in terms of the subject matter, not in terms of yeah. the actual artists themselves. What do you feel about that?
0: I think it's the type of work. Hmm. I I mean, as I said, I when I was kind of, a, when I was younger, kind of late, certainly, you know, late twenties, mid to mid to late thirties, I was definitely making work that was, you know, really just, you know, male figures. And I suppose it helped it helped me to uh develop a not a USP but um it, it made my work quite distinctive. Mm. And I I certainly didn't have any problem selling it. I think people really vibed with it actually. It was yeah, I yeah, I don't really know what I feel about it. It's it's nice to feel like you can use any gender, I think. <laughs> Um, it, it's you know I, I I think maybe just sometimes it what helps the the image. my work isn't doesn't have any sort of feminist um sort of angle mm. it's I'm I'm coming from a kind of emotional or psychological stance at the work. Um, I like the work to, if it's about if there's you know strong, if there's a strength about the work, I think there is in a lot, um, in, you know, in terms of the pose or what's happening in the image, if there's a strength about that, then that is really, I like, it, it makes me feel strong to make that image. And I feel like people who connect with it are also getting, feeling that strength. So they're almost picking up those, vibes from work and that's kind of my you know what i'm giving to others with the work is that they're they're getting a strength by looking at the image they're 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 feeling it and they're getting that strength and so that's some of the work okay. um but other you know at the other side of the spectrum it, i am working through working you know with feelings of overwhelm and feeling you know a, a lot of imagery is some of the imagery is kind of about loss of control, um, especially yeah, with some of the fallen figures. Well, all of the fallen figures and some of the figures that I was doing, I've been doing in sort of recent years, where they're just kind of crashing under the surface of the water, almost making kind of sort of abstract shapes. Um, that's really about about a kind of loss of control. So. And some people, you know, people connect with that as well. So whether those people are female or male, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to, I'll just sort of decide that.
2: So I'm kind of curious, this might be a more personal question. So I can always get this out if you want to, but like, how important is control in your own life? It's,
0: it is it is important. I mean, I guess as, as, as I touched on at the beginning, it's something that I've learned to have more of. <laughs> I was- but my my younger life was felt extremely out of control. Mm. And so I've I've gathered more control as I um as I've matured.
2: So, so the reason I asked is just because you said, you know, as you just said, like your work is some of it's about the idea of being out of control. And it's kind of when I think about your work actually with that kind of perspective. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense because as an artist you have a lot of control. You know, like all the elements of your work are in your control. But at the same time the way people view it is out of your control. You know, the final actual work itself is very much out of your control. There's a nice kind of duality and balance there. So I'm just curious, it's like really interesting. It's a really interesting way of thinking about it in terms of like, I think a lot of artists are quite control, are control freaks or like they're very much like things done a certain way because that's why they do what they do. But then it's like you kind of give up part of yourself to be an artist because it's like, you don't have control over what people think about your work.
0: I don't actually feel that bothered about what people think about it. Like honestly. Really? No. You know, I hope that they don't know about you know if that's an arrogant thing to say. But okay. I feel like uh, I feel like enough people have you know connected with it and, yeah. and and collected it over many years. So I I guess I I am fairly secure that you know there's an audience for it. And once I've made it, I don't. I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not really that bothered.
2: Maybe because you're at a point in your career now where it's not about pleasing people; it's about creating what you want to create. Well,
0: you know, I, I'm not sure your ultimate freedom in that. But yeah, I, I mean, there was one. There has been one uh, kind of episode where it was. It was a bit uncomfortable. I was making when I was uh, on residency in New York um, back. In my mid thirties, I was making. I'd been living in Berlin actually before I went to New York, and I'd been working with free runners. You know the guys that do parkour. Mm. That was just like I hadn't an idea in my head. I've got to work with these. But it was. It seemed like quite a kind of. I suppose a kind of a new thing, sort of like back then. It probably wasn't that new, but I. It just the imagery that I'd sort of seen interested me and I've managed to find some guys who modeled for me really young guys in Berlin they're really lovely and you know they were very patient as I kind of used them for various photo shoots and video shoots and things and when I got the residency in New York I kind of went I think pretty much straight from Berlin to New York and I then I, was, then I was like, just like struck by the skyline, as obviously you are in New York, you, you know, anyone that goes to New York, you're just like, oh, the skyline, skyline. So although my work isn't that full of context, it felt like I, I needed to put that in, I needed to, I really wanted to be making work that was, that had the context of, you know, the New York City in it when I was there. And I, so I, I kind of combined
1: the two. Oh. So I had
0: five, had the parkour guys and the New York skyline and the two together. Unfortunately, I actually really like the you know the drawings that I made there. But um, when I was you know, I, the residency was working kind of live in a storefront gallery in the Lower mm-hmm. East Side, so I was actually there like kind of on view, and we did like a show and everything mm-hmm. in the uh, in the gallery at the end of the residency with the other artists who are from around the world. It was a great experience, but it was, the gallery was open for people to come in and like chat to you about your work while you were there working during the day. And I think that you we were there for three months working in that space and it was awkward because obviously it was, you know, everyone was chatting about Twin Towers jumpers.
2: Of course, yeah. And
0: I hadn't really sort of thought of that, but it was quite... It was quite annoying because the the, the parkour guys I I had had them dressed in suits because I was just making wanted to make figures who were dressed in in a kind of you know standard uniform type thing when I was you know that they weren't in tracksuits and chainers and stuff. So that was that was awkward and I did care that you know New Yorkers were getting offended by you know by that. Yeah, that's a good point cares about that but but very curiously when I sent that work back to the UK people in the UK loved it and you know they would yeah quite often we'll get messages from people going have you got any more of those you know flying suit guys and from the New York days and I'm like eh no but
2: yeah, but but that's really interesting because it makes me remember that like people in different places in the world have different perspectives on different things. Because the people from the UK will see that image very different from somebody from America. And there's somebody yeah. from, you know, the UK yourself, like your intentions were very well intended. It just happened to be this, you know, unfortunate circumstances that changed maybe the reading of your work for certain people. Not everybody yeah. though.
0: Yeah. So I think you have to, you know, you there has to be an awareness of 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 how, you know, the work's gonna be read. It's gotta be like unproblematic in in those kind of ways. But
2: unless that's intentional.
0: I quite like, I don't know, maybe it's like the rebel in me that likes
2: to just
0: make something and be like, hey, do you know what I mean? I can see the world. Because
2: you know. one could argue like, well, they're putting their own meaning on it. It's not you putting your meaning on it. So it's, say, it's free I game.
0: I don't really see it as my problem.
2: Hmm. Hmm. I mean, why should you? Because you're putting work out. And, you know, as long as you're not doing something that's like deliberately offensive, you know, no. then I think it's different. You know, then that'd be very different. Yeah. I think people interpret it differently. Then... You know, that's the that, but that's the beauty of art, though, really, is that the fact that everybody looks at the same piece of art with their own perspective, and that, you know, a piece of art you may really enjoy, somebody may really hate, and vice versa, and I think that's really the beauty of art, really.
0: Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, it's completely subjective, isn't it?
2: So, yeah, let's talk a bit about your Nightmove series. Can you talk a bit about that series and kind of, like, how that developed?
0: Yeah, so I think it was kind of triggered by... I, I, I put a book together... I'm really sorry because I said I was going to send you one and I forgot completely. Yeah. I will send you one, Aaron. Yeah. And I put a book together kind of this time last year. It was a bit of a labour of love, but, um, but it was really useful. And I um kind of a writer interviewed me who wrote the foreword, and I think just speaking to her about links in my work going back sort of triggered I had started to you know work a bit with dan- like figures dancing and stuff like I was kind of using models and just getting them to go into almost kind of frenzied states without really thinking too much about why I was doing it or it was just like I was kind of just drawn to it I've always loved drawing and drawing hair I think it was, it was just led by that you know it was just sometimes it can be just quite a tenuous you know kind of notion that you have that I have I'll just be like oh let's do something with hair you know it's just a, something like that that's a seed that's planted and so I was shooting a lot of video um my model shake her hair about it way. and so I had started doing a few drawings of those and they, those were going in the book and the writer was prompting me for links and things and I just started to think about about where a lot of the interest in it, the escapism kind of theme had come from. It was really a lot of the things that I'd been, subjects that I'd been doing up until that point really were kind of around that. And started talking about my art school days. And, you know, it was just such a formative time, that time in the 90s. It was so, like, the club culture and the dance music culture and you know having lived quite a sheltered life as a child child an extremely shy child and then kind of arriving in Aberdeen and seeing you know also you know middle class child you know parents were solicitors it was you know quite standardly boarding arrived in Aberdeen, um, exposed to all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life as a student and suddenly we started going to you know we were we were going to clubs and they were they were mad they were you know it was it, it was it was madness we were going to these you know dirty sweaty clubs we started taking ecstasy I you know never really done you know proper drugs before and I was absolutely entranced it was my mind was completely blown at um you know what happened what happened to you and as somebody who was very shy and you know quite socially anxious you know I just like literally suddenly you know that just opened up everything to me you know I was sat you know at 5am and I kind of lilac pvc dress sat on the knee of some sort of strange you know gay guy um you know sort of we were you know would be like sort of frothing at the mouth with sort of (laughs) you know various kind of disgusting like drugs and drink and you know and and you know completely connecting Mm -hmm. like soul connection hugging and you know embracing and you know just being able to connect with anyone, everyone was just like in love. You know, the sweat was pouring off the ceiling. These clubs in Aberdeen, you know, these little bald guys would be going around like pouring like water over all our heads. You know, we were, you know, so hot, we were overheating. It was mental. And, you know, back to these after parties until, you know, Sunday, Monday, just having conversations, listening to, you know, the most amazing music. It was... It was a wonderful time. It was skanky. Don't get me wrong. It really, really was. But it was wonderful in terms of like human connection. And I feel like I hadn't really given that those experiences in that time of my life enough credit for um that how I've kind of developed as a person and how my work has my work's developed as well. It was it's really, really important. And so I think talking to that writer about you know the formative stuff and and not just you know our education when i was at art school but it was life education it was mm-hmm. and, and, and i feel so privileged to have been a young person at that time it was special you know it was really really special and it was it, it affected me so much you know it got to writing our dissertations at the end of the degree and i i wrote mine on ecstasy
1: <laughs> wow. which,
0: which, you know, makes me sort of cringe and like kind of piss myself laughing all at once. But I, I even, I remember the, <laughs> I clearly <laughs> remember the front, front cover of it, which was me, you know, st- sticking my tongue out and I, and I, like, it was a Mitsubishi pill like, on it. Um, and at that, I, what I think is also really wonderful is that, you know, school and were, were cool with that. They obviously, you know, realised that we were having a, an important cultural moment, which we were, and you know, allowed me to to do that. So you know, hats off to them. I was, yeah. So that gives you a, a sense of how intimate I was. And and my work at the time as a student was did revolve very much around kind of come downs and drugs and people dressed up for party and 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 it, it, the work was did look a bit like that for a few years to come, and it it, it did it has instilled in me, I think, uh, an interest in that, you know, the sort of other estates. And so that kind of prompted me to, I I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm just going to go back to, I'm just going to try and tap into like, you know, the the kind of old raving days. And so, um, you know, do an intended directed photo shoot and see what happens. So it went from just using a model kind of randomly shaking our hair around to setting up like basically a club in my living room with a a photographer and uh, I was one of the models as well. So it was me and a few of my pals who are all like old reavers who finds it, you know, quite difficult, actually, because I don't think we've got the cardiovascular fitness to read anymore. But I... it was, a, it was a lot of fun and um, you know we got the tunes on smoke machine uh lights and yeah we did you know got a lot of footage and it was you know it was a few hours we really really went for it and really kind of you know took ourselves back to to the olden days headspace wise and yeah i when i looked at the imagery and the video footage and stuff back, I was like, I'm not sure. But then I, I, yeah, I got back into the studio and I started making quite, yeah, I decided to make some pastels. And and that was, because I couldn't quite work out. I thought, I started making like some charcoal drawings, but I was like, "Nah, nah, I don't know, this isn't, it's not really doing it for me. And I just, I just had some, Slightly weird kind of neon soft pastels. And I just kind of went for it. And I started making quite loose drawings and it felt like a bit of a breakthrough. You know, it felt like um it was it it felt like a bit of progress and a bit of a breakthrough for me. And I and I was I I couldn't stop making them. I was like, yeah, I was excited in a way that, you know, some years you can literally go the whole year without like, you know, feeling like you've done some, you know, something that's a breakthrough. Um, Sometimes it feels like you can go, you know, it's just, you know, if you get one piece a year that you're like really happy with or really excited about, then it's a win. And, uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to, I just couldn't get out of the studio. I was just loving them. And like every, every, everyone was, I was taking something different from the images and they were quite quick and loose and it felt it just felt right, you know. So uh, I think I'd just been to yeah, I'd just come back from a festival that starts going to every year called We Out Here Festival, um, which is put together by Giles Peterson's got this you know all sorts of music, but in the forest at night in the in, in the We Out Here Forest, there are some you know amazing there's some amazing dance music and i've been you know it's taken me to the brink uh mentally and physically but my god i did a good time and listened to some incredible tunes so i yeah it just all felt like the right kind of time when i you know started doing the night moves um i had to kind of stop and 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 and, and put them away and get on with some other work for Another show for a while. I'm actually just about to sort of get back to making some much bigger wow. pieces in that series because they're all, you know, they're not they're not that big. And um, I just felt I felt like I was sort of scratching the surface, um, but I didn't have an opportunity really to get really um, stuck into that. It felt like connecting a loop in terms of life and work and themes it felt like the right thing and there, there is there's definitely a, a nostalgia there and it reminds me it, it brings back a lot of the you know the feelings of that connection i think after uh, lockdown and covid and everything as well hmm. you know it's it's it, it, it just all felt like the right time you know to have been at that festival to have experienced you know the just dynamism and vibrancy and life force that is you know wonderful music and people dancing and you know that like the human connection all of it together and the vibrancy of the pastels and 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 the dark paper you know building atmosphere with drawing it was just like sometimes there's an alchemy with your subject matter your your media and your personal connection to it all and it just comes together like magic you know and it just felt like one of
2: those moments see also the thing that i find really fascinating about it is the documentation of that moment in time because i feel like like nowadays obviously in contemporary music in 2023 i think what year Then in 2023 like there's a lot of house underlying a lot of music nowadays and it's kind of interesting because house is like you know 80s 90s you know so back in the day like that used to be what was popular and it's kind of interesting because it's like your work is almost like a documentation of an earlier time that people nowadays well especially kids nowadays never understand or experience like that's something that will never be recreated
0: what do you mean you mean 90s um dance music culture
2: yeah or just the idea of like that kind of whole scene of of going to a club or going you know that kind of the just the kind of the environments
0: Uh uh-huh when there was no phones
2: Hmm. yeah exactly yeah because everything because everything nowadays is recorded and everything nowadays is um documented online in some form whereas in back then it was the experience and that's what counted was just the just experience
0: absolutely and i think that's what there is nostalgia for and i think that you know anyone that's kind of my age that was into that you know where we feel so lucky to have experienced those times you know musically culturally um anthropologically and the fact that thank god nobody has got our behavior on camera i mean
2: that's that's actually kind of really fascinating for a lot of different reasons i'm thinking about it in terms of just like it's in one hand i think it's very scary how we've allowed technology to become so prevalent in our everyday life and how we lightroom corner. it but it's also really interesting to think like what would happen if you didn't have that because for like for myself like i grew up i remember the first days of youtube but at the same time like, i remember like before the internet was even a thing and it's kind of like i wonder how and actually i had this conversation with my mother earlier actually i wonder how artists would create or what they would create if the internet didn't exist because i'm assuming like the work that you used to, that you created like in your 20s and 30s was probably a lot different or maybe it was somewhat different to how it is now
0: yeah i think that the constant looking at other people's work all the time it's a bit distracting to be honest
1: hmm.
0: you know it you, there is something about just being in yourself and, you know, kind of marinating in that that's that's, that's a bit more authentic. You know, I, it, there's, you know, like everything, there's pros and cons,
2: isn't there, of everything? Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I, I do
0: think, I do feel like, you know, certainly for artists, they're like, you know, a daily dose of bloody Instagram. Do you know what I mean? Every single day, really? Is that what... Is that how we should be spending our lives? I'm not I'm not sure. I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's healthy. I don't know if that's for me anyway, speaking personally, I don't think it's healthy for my creativity to be, you know, on Instagram trying, you know, looking at, you know, scrolling and liking and commenting and every single every day. You know, that's you need time to just. Be yourself and, and and live your life and let those ideas, you know, just come in, come to you. Mm. It's, I think, the, the phone addiction, you know, and I'm a victim of phone addiction as well. I don't have all the answers, you know. I mean, sometimes yeah. my husband says to me, you've just been looking at your own reel <laughs> on a loop for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, I know, I'm just, I'm seeing how it's performing, big
2: <laughs> yeah, but your reels are so damn cool as well, but that's the thing. I mean, you're given voiceovers, you're given context, you're given the actual amazing work. Like, they're perfect.
0: Thanks. I've only managed to do about four or five. So it's, it's the bandwidth. You know, how much bandwidth can a person have? Yeah. It's, I feel like I've only got a certain amount of bandwidth. I, I mean, I really do. I can't even... Uh, do a whatsapp group you know i say to my pals i'm really sorry but i can't i can't really do a whatsapp group i just i just don't have the bandwidth for it i'd rather just like have a phone call like a really long phone call every couple of months then i just can't do it Like, like daily constant group chat it's too much i don't have the bandwidth for much
2: it's kind of interesting that just like the way in which we spend our time especially online and actually i guess talking about online like i wonder like do you feel like you're part of a larger art community?
0: Not massively, I have to say. I think that the you know the way that I've kind of grown up as an artist, I've been you know in extreme in extreme isolation because I, I, I've not been used to having social media really until mm-hmm. laterally. and I've become very self reliant, and I have three or four very dear close friends who are artists one of whom I speak to pretty much every day and it's mostly about kind of having some you know sort of art related breakdown <laughs> um but uh, apart from that you know I I I try to be a bit social on Instagram and stuff but I just don't want to be on Instagram like all the time I'm not that bothered but I don't have much of a following i am not you know massively bothered about it I feel the pressure to do it but I don't you know i I I don't feel like at my age I you know I I don't know maybe that's the wrong attitude but I, I it it seems like to be social on Instagram means an awful lot of time bent over your phone hmm You know, and I'm not
2: sure I want to do that. See, I have a lot of respect for that mentality, though, personally, because I feel like it's very easy to not see how damaging being online all the time is. I think especially for the younger generation who have grown up online, like, they don't know anything different, which is really scary. But I think the fact that you're, like, you're comfortable enough in your career, and you're at a point where you can just not have to be on Instagram if you want to be. Like, that's, you know, a very lucky privilege, but it's also, like, that's because you've worked you know damn hard at the last decade to get to that point
0: i mean i think you need to look at it i i i'm sure that if you put in you know an an enormous you know a real push with your instagram and you're posting every day or two and you're making your videos and you're doing everything and you're being social and you're dming everyone and whatever that your reach is you know you're going to grow I mean you are you know I see my peers growing massively and I can see them working really hard at it and I'm like good for you but I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how that um transposes into income and Mm -hmm. career I'm, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure if it's hugely important or not I I certainly you know did used to make some like you know sort of the occasional private sale through Instagram but it doesn't feel like it's something that really happens very much anymore it's not not enough to warrant like an enormous amount of time spent at it you know don't get me wrong yeah. I've, I've got you know shows coming up this year and and you know the sort of six weeks before a show I will absolutely ramp up my Instagram and try and you know build a bit you know get some more eyes on their work and stuff but uh, I don't, you know, it's. It, I don't feel like my sales and my my clients are coming really directly through that. But maybe the odd one will be, but ultimately, they're. You know, I feel like you've got to work in and with your galleries as well. So you've got to, you know, it's a, it's a it it should be both of you pushing um, social media wise, which means hopefully that me as an individual doesn't need to push quite so hard as people who are self-representing, who really do have to, you know, it's, it's, I I don't know. I just find, I think it's really, really bad for, for the health. Hmm. If you're working all day in the studio and then you come home and you're like, I don't know. It's about time management as well. I'm not great at time management. I'm pretty scatty. I'm a bit, I'm really, I'm pretty all over the place. But yeah, feeling like I need to be on my phone all the time just makes it worse. I know that you're supposed to. You're supposed to build it into your week, aren't you? You're supposed to, you're supposed to sit down and you know plan all your Insta posts and get your reels done. But I'm just, it's not me.
2: But the, the funny thing is, is that I feel like we always forget that our artists out there who are very successful who don't have any social media. You know, yeah, we we forget that, and that may be for a variety of different reasons outside of. Of like just being good at what they do, but we forget that you can. It is. It might not be likely, but it is possible to exist as an artist without social media.
0: I think older artists who who I think a lot of older artists who've been who've had longer careers, you know, they thought know, they can't be artists hmm. doing you know all that.
2: That's very true. Or like they just like their they're just in their perspective is so different. It's yeah, the perspective is just very different. Like, it's not just what they were, they, they want to be creating the work. That's where, that's what your time is focused on is creating the work.
0: Definitely, I don't think it. It's not. It doesn't help me create good work. Um, I I don't like to be in the studio thinking, what can I put on in you know what in here can I put on Instagram today or should I make something specially for Instagram or,
2: um, yeah. it's just really distracting. So, if nobody saw your work, would you still create it? That's a really good question, and I have
0: listened to other artists answer similar questions on various podcasts it's really interesting I really love it when they say no I think that is so honest um, and I'm not saying that it's, it would be a no from me not maybe not a flat mm. no but if nobody was going to see it you know if nobody at all was going to see it I think it would just be perhaps uh it would be a real golden ticket to you know complete liberation. So you would, you know, I am a creative person. I I, I do feel the need to create. I really enjoy creating, but I think I would make work. I, I would make probably artwork. I would draw. I love drawing, I love the active drawing. Um, but it probably wouldn't look like you know the work that um, I I I make. At the moment or have been making for quite a long time it would probably look very different it would be a bit wild i mean it might be a bit abstract i think it might might be really quite abstract
2: because i'm i'm personally always just really curious how the audience and the artist merge because obviously as an artist you're creating work for somebody for somebody to buy but then what people buy is going to have a bearing on what you create like i like this kind of idea of like where is that kind of limitation of boundary between you're creating the work you want to create, but also creating work that is sellable.
0: Yes. And I think that you have to, if you're going to be making a living from your work, you do need to have an understanding of the market. You know, you you, you really do. It, it's a it's it's walking a tightrope between mm. you know, making that work that you want to make and maybe trying to push those boundaries and 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 grow and personal development within within it um but you know you've you've got to have an understanding of 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 the market you know i think you, you you know one could have a complete pivot to to something else that perhaps feels more authentic in in a new chapter in your life um but that would that would take time to find that audience you know you're 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 maybe going to isolate, you know, some of, some of them, some of your current market, but you you would find you would find others. It's not. I don't think it's impossible, but I think it it is it is difficult.
2: I think that we always forget that your audience changes. That your audience is not always fixed. Like, and I feel like we forget that because you don't want to be pigeonholed as an artist. You don't want to be defined by doing one certain thing. But your audience always changes. People come, people go. It's the nature of things. I think for the longest time we forget that, or at least something I always forget personally. Um, But yeah, just just because you said that, it reminded me to think about that in terms of like, you know, people are going to leave, people are going to stay, people are going to, we have been with you for 10 years, people are only going to just discover your work. People haven't discovered your work yet. You have to remember like, you're catering for none of those people, but all of those people at the same time.
0: Yeah. And I do think that um, for some people, you know, these days, maybe setting out to... You know, make a living from so solely from selling your work is you know it's that's maybe not the route. You know, for for everyone, it, there's a lot to be said. Yes. I think for you know having a job, a different type of job that that, that that pays you money and 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 that makes you extremely free in your practice. Yeah, there's something to say for that. Absolutely, yes. you know, it's um, an enormous pressure to have on your shoulders to to be making a living from from the sale of your work. And it's maybe not always the best thing for your work.
2: I think that is such good advice because I feel like everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people want to be a full time artist because they think it's going to be luxurious. They think you're going to sit go home, you're going to stay at home, you're going to make as much art as you want. And it's all going to be like, I just pick it up and paint in the studio and and go, you know, and then go sit back down and just always do an art. And it's like, but it's not. It's like you have to form your whole lifestyle around making work that is going to sell. And that might even be work that you want to make, but it was work that was out.
0: Yeah, definitely. So there's, there's there's a freedom in that.
2: So do you actually have any advice for people who would be interested in being full-time artists?
0: I would... I think that things are very, very different these days. So there's so many ways of doing it. Um, if you are up for being, you know, very good on social media, then you can build... A business you can build you can absolutely build a business making any kind of work you really can if you if you're good at um creating content and selling yourself out there and you've got confidence in it then you can you know uh, uh, you can make anything literally anything and find an audience i think so uh, i think that lots of people sort of curiously think that you know the road to success is you know still with galleries and things and you know it's really not you know I that's my route but I'm Mm -hmm. like an old timer is you know that's always been my route and and that's what I'm used to and that's what suits me because I don't want to be constantly on social media and so but I, I do think that there's an enormous amount of variety in in on different levels in the gallery system it's really complicated it's an extremely opaque industry there is no transparency whatsoever really it's unregulated it's 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 the wild west and um so there is a lot to be said i think these days for people who are you know coming to art either as a you know out of art school or Coming back to art as an older person, you know, kind of to build a career, there's a lot to be said for for doing it on your own and, and self-representing. But what I would say is, you know, you can't be shy of work because that is going to be a ball-breaking amount of work. But if you're up for it, go for it. I mean, I mean, basically, to be a full-time artist, you you know, your your work ethic needs to be a really strong because there's so much there's these days there's so there's so much involved in it my work ethic has always been really strong and having given up other hedonistic pursuits I feel like I've almost become a workaholic now you know instead of other holics so I don't know yeah I think you know if your passion's there and and that's what you want to do and, and and you want to work really hard at it then you know it's it's absolutely it's the, the great thing is that it's it's there for the taking so right. there's no you know there aren't gatekeepers anymore you can just get out there with your cowboy hat into the wild west of the art world and see what you can do you know that's right. but that's those would be my, my words what I would say about um about galleries is that if you're gonna work with a gallery then they really need to bring to the table something that you're not you know, that you're not getting from self-representing, mm. and that's really really important. So I've really like whittled down my galleries that I work with in the last few years. Um, I've worked with lots of different galleries over the years, but I'm you know I feel like I'm in a good position now. I've got. I only really work with like two or three galleries anymore and, and and they're kind of quite sort of strategically located you know one in the states one in down south um one in you know one in scotland Do you know what i mean not no. not so it's, and so if you can keep it to you know two or three galleries then it's it's a lot simpler and and, and maybe in you know different places so that you're you're exploiting different markets different geographical markets
2: yeah i think that's another that we to think got, about yeah
1: yeah
0: they've got to bring something to the table because i don't think there's any point in doing it just for the you know kind of maybe ego reasons of saying oh i've got a gallery because yeah. you know, it might be really detrimental to you income-wise
2: can anybody be an artist
0: um yeah i don't see why not i mean why not i think so and um, i'm not sure, i think it's more like i don't you know it's not everyone who would want to be one and mm. um, so if any, you know i i i believe that it's if you want to be one then you you, you know you can be one think i think it's as simple as that maybe i'm wrong
2: no, okay. That's a that's an interesting question. Just because it's an interesting answer, because especially because I've asked that question to a lot of people, and people have very strong opinions. So to hear someone be like, "What?" is actually quite a refreshing take on it, I must say.
0: I mean, it's, it's a pretty ridiculous thing to call yourself. So why can't anyone call themselves it?
2: But how do you? I guess this is a question I didn't promise this. List, but how do you square away, or how do you kind of get to a point where you're comfortable to talk about yourself as an artist?
0: I mean, it is It is still, yeah, it's quite a cringy thing to say. But that's only because you're kind of putting, you know, that's, if you're kind of being self-conscious, yeah. which most people kind of are to a certain extent, you know, a lot of the time, then it, it does feel like a little bit of a cringy thing to say. That's why I like to say I'm a drawer. But, you know, that's people get confused by that as well. A major, am a drawer. A drawer.
2: <laughs> but also, it's kind of interesting because, like, you're not trying to label yourself a certain way, but at the same time, like, you need to give yourself some kind of label because you, you want people to know what you do when you approach them or when they approach you. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: But I, I, you know, I mean, think of all the, you know, sort of ludicrous really bits of art there are out there.
1: Mm. Art. Yeah.
0: Um. So, you know, I think anyone, if anyone. Yeah, I think it's you know, it's that's one of the good things about being an artist. It really
2: is open to anyone <laughs> who for wants. Better, to yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, that I they're can't making art and that they're an
0: artist. You know, it's, it's, it's very open in that way.
2: So I have a question for you from the last artist I interviewed, um, a great college artist called Amy Salamone, um, and her question yeah. for you is: What artist or piece of art significantly altered your perspective on what art is? Oh, that's
0: a really difficult one. Um so I was when I went when I was doing my masters, I was extremely uncool to be a figurative painter. Like it was not cool like at all. And it was quite kind of weird because we'd come I'd come from you know doing my BA in Scotland where in at Grade and there was like loads of figurative painters, and that was totally fine. And then sort of a year later, Barcelona, lots of people from all over the world um and I don't know it like I don't know that it shifted or or what what was going on but it, it was not you know there was only me and uh someone who became a very dear friend Annie from Australia who were kind of doggedly uh making our figurative drawings and paintings and everyone else was you know just doing kind of mad stuff like you know putting a bit of a big kind of blob of paint on the wall and then watching it drip onto the floor and, you know, photographing that. And we were all, you know, having lectures about Wittgenstein, the philosopher, and, you know, it was it was quite difficult for me and Annie, I'm not going to lie. Hmm. Um, but uh, I did get... So it was quite hard for me to kind of get into like the dialogue around conceptual art and philosophy and everything. But, you know, I kind of had you you sort of have to when you're doing a master's and you have to like defend your work and stuff. I did get really into this, the work of this Dutch performance artist called Bas Ader, who was around in the 70s. And I I guess... um, he kind of turned me on to work that was more conceptual, and I and I and I and I really kind of took it on board. It was very, I found it really beautiful and emotional, and actually still feel that it's really still got links and reference to the work that I make now. And he was making, you know, it was very cool. He would sort of like go up. He was actually, oh, he was dead by the time I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was studying him. Uh, but he he would go up into trees and like just kind of fall out of them. And he'd have like somebody videoing or or um, you know, photographing his fall. And he would like cycle along the canal in Amsterdam and just like flop into the canal like on his bike. <laughs> and he ultimately he this just captivated me, this sort of romance and the pathos of 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 his last piece but his last piece was he tried to sail across the Atlantic on this like tiny little crappy little like wooden boat that he constructed and um that piece was called uh, like In Search of the Miraculous I think um, or he did a whole series that were called In Search of the Miraculous and I just loved the title and I have subsequently called some of my pieces in and miraculous and sort of owed to him but um obviously this boat this tiny shit little boat was never going to go across the atlantic and you know he capsized somewhere and died and that was the that was the performance you know he kind of knew that that was going to happen and, and so it was all that was mm-hmm. i got this book there's a little book of his work I, he's not hugely known but you know as a photographer i think you would find his work yeah. interesting there's there, there's lots of Beautiful photographs of him sort of walking around LA, him sort of walking, you know, into tunnels and down roads and with like various kind of very romantic. That it's that whole Caspar David Friedrich kind of you know lone romantic hero kind yeah. of vibe um, that 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 I love, you know, and and I think is relevant in my work. A, a lot of people often ask me of the single figure that I use in my work. That's a question that comes up quite a lot. I'm very much of the thinking came into the world alone. We go out of it alone and we're, we are to a certain extent lost in ourselves. You know, nobody mm-hmm. else has access to it, in our inner worlds. And, and as much as I'm keen for connection, and I think I said before, rather flippantly, that I don't care what people think. I think that's maybe wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, in, yeah. some in some way, it's some correct. But I guess what I'd like to say, I'll take the opportunity to say is that with my work, I think in the same way as maybe what he was doing, and his name's Bastian. Ander again, um, it, I, I, there's a solace, I'm hope, hoping perhaps, that people find in my work a strength. Or a solace, or maybe both, and mm. so actually he is is a great example of someone that maybe changed my idea. Of, I was very closed off to to more you know performance art and you know I just you know there was somebody on my BA who just like cut off all their pubes and you know made silly patterns with it, and that really kind of put me off. I hope she's not listening. <laughs>
2: I feel like the problem is like art degrees, especially just attract the weirdest people because people just choose to be weird because they can get away with it. I'm like depravity. If you want to be like depraved, just be honest, you know, <laughs> you know, don't just use art as a vehicle. And that's actually, I guess, a, an actual kind of valid concern. Like people shouldn't use art as like a vehicle to be offensive or just to do stuff that's shocking, just to be shocking because they want to do it. Just do it. If you're going to do it, don't do it in the guise of art because it takes away from artists who actually want to say something their work, you know,
0: yeah, I'm not. I hate seeing like pubes and stuff in art. It's no need
2: for it. But just like performance art, because a lot of performance art, or at least you know when you look at like shocking performance art, it's all just kind of like it's done for the shock value. It's not done for conversation. Where there are, are genuine artists out there who are struggling, yet their work says something meaningful. You know, I think there's there's one thing that frustrates me personally as somebody who looks at a lot of art is when mm. I, when I can tell someone's doing it for the money. I can tell someone's just doing it just to make. A bit, get a bigger bank out, not because they actually care about what they're doing. Like that frustrates me no end. Because I know so many, I don't at this point probably thousands of artists who deserve success, the kind of success I wish for them, but they will never get it because it other people have that kind of success. It's just oh, don't actually I shouldn't start myself on this topic, but like yeah, it just frustrates me no end. It's just and the the playing field is so uneven, and it it just I me But anyway, I'm gonna quickly stop rambling because otherwise I got onto a whole tangent, and that's not cool. that's not cool. Um, So do you have a question for the next artist interview?
0: Um, I did see that. I was struggling with it a little bit. I think that I would like to ask, and I hope this hasn't been asked already, because it seems like maybe quite an obvious one, but I would like to ask how the next artist works through their blocks when they have them, you know, it's, it's something that I, you know, really kind of interests me, and I, I'm not totally sure that I've got, you know, great answers. Um, I, I tend to have to take really quite a lot of time off, but there must be lots of different ways of dealing with it, and it's but you know that it really is a, especially considering how how hard and how intensely we as artists often have to work. It's quite a useful one. So if it's not been asked already.
2: It hasn't been. And even if it has, I'll still ask it anyway because I like keeping the chain. Uh so what does it mean to be a successful artist? And how did you measure the success of your own work?
0: But uh, um yeah, another very good question. For me, I think it's you know, I find it quite simple. I think it really for me, it's as simple as whether I like the work and whether I like, yeah, you know, whether I like myself as a person. I mean that's those are the two, those are really the two things that I'm I'm kind of striving for in my life. Whether I, you know liking myself and liking my work. And they're bloody difficult. You know, so I, I don't for me it doesn't need to get any more complicated than that because I, I sort of feel like it doesn't matter what other what external achievement you know or whatever external goal or objective you put in front of yourself to try to achieve as soon as you've got it you're gonna be you know you're gonna need another one yeah you know so yeah. it's you you just need to it's taken me a really long time to kind of figure that out. Uh, but uh, I think for me, it, it's actually really helpful to condense it down to like the work, like yourself in life, and uh, and those are two good things to live by and work by.
2: I think that's absolutely great advice, like absolute great advice. And actually, no one's ever said that, which is really interesting. That liking yourself, especially, because I feel like that's so important because you're going to be prevalent. And present in everything you do you know you can't you can't escape from yourself
0: the two things um, you know, they, they really do go hand in hand and um i think that you know my when my work's not going well you know it can be extremely depressing mm. and you know that uh, that you know it hugely affects you as a person the, the two things are you know they're absolutely you know they're they're inseparable really so if you're making work that you're really struggling with and you're just not liking and it's just not
2: doesn't it's not feeling like you it's, it's horrible. So what did your younger self think about your work?
0: Um I think my very much younger self had definitely has a had notions of being an artist. I was, I think, you know, looking back in terms of the, certainly the child that I was, I was extremely shy to the point of like mute pretty much wow. for many years um and i was i you know didn't come from a an artistic family at all nobody knew anyone who was an artist perhaps i think it was it's like there it was some sort of like weird family folklore about no, something was I think it was like an actual thing, like some sort of great uncle somewhere who'd like chopped off his nose or something. it was, it was like it sort of got mixed up with Van Gogh story. Um, but he was like some sort of great sort of great uncle somewhere who had been like a carpenter, and that was like the closest thing that wow. our you know family family has ever you know heard of in relation to an artist. So it was extremely it was. You know, not only frowned upon, it it was just like, you know, my dad was mad, you know, it sent him crazy that I was saying that I was going to be an artist. So I think that younger self would probably have been bloody chucked that, um, that I, you know, have become an artist. But again, yeah, never quite sure, you know, at what cost. Hmm. Um, being an artist comes with, you know, it, it it's a high price to pay. I'm not quite sure. Um, makes me think about that. You know, the the Matt Haig book, the, is it the Midnight Library.
2: Yes.
0: Which, you know, it's that those kind of sliding doors. You know, if you hadn't become an artist you know, you can't. Yeah, you can't switch uh... You can't be everything.
2: Yeah. You can't have been
0: everything. Uh, yeah.
2: Uh,
0: don't know. Certainly, certainly been a lot of navel gazing in my life, that's for sure.
2: So the very last question, which you'll be probably happy to know, the very last question, which is what are you currently working on and where can people find more about you and your work?
0: So I've just sent off um, a few big charcoal drawings, which are a couple of, two or three of them are some big kind of, they're charcoal and ink drawings um, that are kind of, to, within the ravers series and they've gone off to um my gallery in the states who are doing the affordable Fair in new york um which is a fair that i used to do loads but i haven't done it for years well since the pandemic and stuff so it's nice to be showing again in new york those are some nice big drawings and i um have just well pretty much finished uh, an entire monochrome solo show which will be with my uk gallery thompson's gallery um i think the show they've got a london gallery well they've got three different galleries i think my show is going to be in the Harpenton gallery which is their newest gallery which is in Hertfordshire in may and it's going to be an entire charcoal show some uh-huh. really big um beautiful, I think, watery charcoals, there, there, there's a lot of pretty, you know, pretty much water is the whole theme, but they are, there's, there's lots of iterations, I suppose, of water within, within that. There are quite a lot of, there, there's quite a few, quite new pieces, which are very reflective. They're, kind of figures sort of looking out over environments, there's a little touch of the surreal in one or two of them. Um, They feel like quite a progression. In others that are very, very big, they're a real celebration of just the physicality of charcoal. And I would say that they're my biggest and sort of most expressive like charcoal pieces. They're really something really visceral about them. So there's there's some drawings that I'm really proud of, actually, in, in that show that's coming up. i um, excited about that. That's going to open, I think, the first week of May. Well, oh, it is definitely. I'm not sure of the date, though, right now. Um, but if you follow me on Instagram, I you won't miss that show. Um, also in May, I will be doing... Um, open an open house in Brighton um, in my house which is on Brighton Seafront um, in Kemptown and um, I will be showing for the first time some of my bigger Night Moves rave drawings so while the Charcoal Water Show is on in, oh, wow. with Thompson I will be doing the um, bigger river um, work in my own living room, which is a wonderful room with direct sea views. And um hopefully we'll have some sunny weather and that's I'm really ex- it's it's lovely doing that. I I did it for the very first time last year. I was a bit like, oh do I really mm. want to be doing an open house because you know it's but it's a huge thing in Brighton. So you know it's right. it's there's there's huge footfall. I really was unsure about it, but I had such a great time doing it last year. I had so many people. I must have had about 1500 to 2,000 people through um last year. So it's it's it is a it's a huge thing. People absolutely love it. And I've just got such a great room for it here. So to get that chance, you know, I can't be at my gallery show the whole time. So yeah. I can only be at the opening, but I do yeah. love like being and um, you know, in my own home, um being able to open the fridge and drink a beer with like visitors to my show and get and 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 to get some real time real life yeah in person feedback on my newest work so it's also it's a really nice opportunity to show my most experimental work which you know perhaps haven't had you know perhaps my you know my galleries aren't that into just yet or you know Ever. so it's 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 a lovely experience and it's usually a really nice time in May and it's really sunny you should
2: come down Aaron but Patsy thank you so much for your time like I can't tell you what an absolute privilege this has been
0: oh thank you so much for listening to me I mean goodness me it wasn't yeah it wasn't a short one I feel I feel lighter
1: That concludes my conversation with artist Patsy MacArthur. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or get in touch via social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube and Apple Music. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of those platforms to help spread the word. Also, please don't forget to check out The Flying Fruit World, a UK for daily art inspiration, and if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. We now also have a Patreon page and a PayPal if you're interested in supporting the platform further. Tears on Patreon start from £1, and for more information, head on over to patreon.com forward slash The Additionally, I'll leave a PayPal link in our show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today, and until next time folks, please stay safe.